what we do here is go back, 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 back. Two and a half parts podcast. My name is David Statman. As always, I am joined by my good friend Angelo and Gleesa. As we rewatch, we live, remember different wrestling pay per every single week. And this week we're back. We were off last week. We had uh, we got some busy stuff going on in our lives. Angelo, you were at another Bachelor weekend last weekend. Yeah, yeah, I, I indeed was. There's a lot going on in August. Uh, that's why we had the market down. So we only missed one week instead of three. Uh, so I call that a win. Yes, I do too. And we're back at it this week. And, of course, we was really excited to get back here with just some boring-ass shit. Yeah. a big old piece of slop. Just fucking boring as hell. We have. I mean, we're going back quite a ways. This is one of the earlier shows that we have done for the Two and a Half Marks podcast. The uh, Jim Crockett Promotions Bunkhouse Stampede Finals from 1988 up on Long Island. Four matches on the pay-per-view broadcast. All of them pretty long. And I wasn't really into any of them. I, the flare match was fine. You know, there was a, you know, flare match was fine. Uh, the, the, the Zabisco match, there was some stuff in it I thought was done well. Uh, the Bunkhouse Stampede match was an incredibly long, just kind of shitty brawl. Yeah. And the first match is one of the most boring matches I've ever seen in my entire life. So this was a slog to get through, made even worse by the fact that I actually watched it in Angelo's (laughs) apartment because I had to see this asshole last week. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Really, really a damper on my on my morning when I was watching the, the and, we're, and we're not gonna and we're not gonna talk about why you're here. Obviously, the football season's canceled due to the war. Uh, just it's yeah. just not happening this year. It's just not I happening. Even, I don't even know what football is, dude. Yeah, what is football? What are you fucking talking about, bro. What, yeah. what is? <laughs> and I concur on most points too. This is a boring pay per view, and the main event really does. It's impossible to watch and kind of understand what the hell's going on. I'll I'll give them this though. It was boring, but I don't think it was bad. And like the wrestling itself, all at least this three matches before the main event, all six of those guys are great workers. And I do think you can follow the story of the match. The problem is the fact that the move pool is just so limited that things either feel repetitive or they're held for a really long time. Like in the Koloff Eaton match, there's a long, long, long the wrestle for match, seven minutes. Nothing happened. I mean, yeah. like, you, you can make excuses all, all you want. You know, it was a different time. It was a different, you know, uh, it, it was a different, you know, paced match. You know, like, generally people didn't wrestle as fast as they did then, right? You know, people didn't do as many moves as they do now back then. Of course, and that's true. But at a certain point, something needs to happen in the match. And nothing happens nothing. for 20 minutes. I mean, th- like, quite literally. Nothing happens. And it ends in a draw. I mean, you can make as many excuses as you want, but that shit's bad to watch mm-hmm. no matter what decade you're from. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I will say, let me do a quick shout out real quick. Go uh, check out uh, Captured Lightning, the Worldwide Dojo's YouTube channel. Got a couple of matches up on there involving some guy named David Moses. The last one, t- uh, singles match facing Jazel, the quickest, the fastest, the lightning. Uh I would recommend that match because that was a actual match where things happened as opposed to Koloff Eaton. Yes, I was I was going to do a little plug later, but yeah, I have a, a couple matches up on the Worldwide Wrestling Dojo YouTube page. So if you guys are tired of listening to me fucking talk and want to see if I actually know how to wrestle. Uh, the answer is no, but <laughs> I still do it anyway. Uh, and you can you can take a look. So I recommend that. And production yeah. quality on those videos, pretty darn good. Pretty yeah, darn bad, good. Not bad at all. Not bad at all, I have to say. Have Great to say. intro. A hundred fucking degrees in there that day. I was fucking, I was blown up two minutes <laughs> in the match. So fucking hot. My God. Absolutely brutal. But yeah, fun time as always. Uh, but yeah, man, this shit, uh, so, so fucking boring. It's going to be a short episode. You know, uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be a short episode because as I was telling you, it's a two hour. So the, the show itself is about two hours. It is on the short side 
for a pay-per-view. It's it's like the length of like a, you know like an in your house, and I think that's aided by the fact that there is um, in the Peacock WWE Network version there is a weird cut where some stuff got I think you know some some stuff didn't make it to the final version, uh, but you know at most that's probably like a few minutes. Like we miss an entrance for a match, but. I mean, I, I told you, like, I have less than two pages of notes for this, which is, like, so like, – because I'm doing, like, the fucking play-by-play here. You know what I mean? Like, that's nothing. Like, I, I sometimes I get through two pages of notes by, like, the second match. And this is, like, we have four 20-minute matches, and I have two pages of notes because nothing fucking happens. God so, bless. Yeah. So, yeah. Sounds like – ready to remember some guys, Angelo? Let's remember all 14 guys that are on this card. Let's remember some guys. It is January 24th, 1988. We are at the Nassau Coliseum in Uniondale, New York, Long Island. Shout out to uh, the Long Island love machine, Nikki P., who we both hung out with this week. Uh, We have a crowd of about 6,000 people for the Bunkhouse Stampede Finals. Bunkhouse Stampede, one of those classic JCP match types, uh, you know, Jim Crockett Promotions, you know, which would later be rebranded into WCW. Uh, We'll get more into that. The big uh, steel cage, you know, eight man throwdown. This man, this this show is particularly uh, notable for the fact that WWF, in a classic case of WWF counter programming, their rivals uh, ran the first ever Royal Rumble. Up against this very show, which, Angelo, trivia question, first ever Royal Rumble was won by who? Oh, was Big John Studd the second one or the first one? Uh, I believe he was the second one. Then it was uh, Jim Duggan. Yes, it was. Ding, ding, ding. It was Hacksaw Jim Duggan was the winner of the first Royal Rumble. Uh, this so, so Dave Meltzer actually reports, it's actually the earliest back issue of the Wrestling Observer newsletter that is available on... The uh, Wrestling Observer websites. I was very glad that I was able to get this. Uh, Dave Meltzer at the time reports that part of the reason why, like, the crowd is super dead, especially at the beginning, is on the tickets themselves. JCP misprinted the time to say that it started at seven instead of six, so it <laughs> showed up an hour late, <laughs> and. <laughs> which is just, I mean, come the fuck on, man. Like, how, how does that happen? And that, ladies and gentlemen, is why quality control is a necessary employment opportunity that you you yourself could take part of. And also, supposedly, there were a number of no-shows among talents. Mm. So, not sure, not, not really sure the reason for that specifically, but... Looked like this this whole thing, just putting it together, it was a shit show from what it from what the the, the reporting at the time will tell us. Um, we have J- uh, good old Jr. Jim Ross and Bob Cottle on the call. Tony Schiavone, the voice of WCW, is on the show as the ring announcer, not actually on the call. Uh, young young fresh face Tony Schiavone with a sweet crisp mustache it's looking great he has not aged in like 34 years it isn't like it, there's a little bit more salt and pepper in the hair maybe a little bit more grizzled but for the most part that man has not aged for 34 years and honestly kudos to that guy yes absolutely this is a this is of course a very very much pro tony Schiavone podcast and we jump straight into the action i mean we uh like by the time the it, it cuts to the arena like we're done with the intro we already have the first guys, you know, making their way into the ring. Uh, uh, NWA U.S. title, or TV title, rather. The NWA TV title is on the line. The challenger, Bobby Eaton, beautiful Bobby Eaton of the Fantastics, with Jim Cornette in his corner. He's already in the ring. And the champion, Nikita Koloff, the very rare Soviet babyface in the 1980s, which they did after he was a heel Feuding with the big babyface Magnum TA. Magnum TA had his career ended in a brutal car accident. And they ended up using that to turn Nikita Koloff babyface. Uh, which, honestly, one of the best angles uh, JCP ever did. Really good shit. I recommend going back and watching it. Uh, 
I don't recommend going back and watching this match, however, because as I hinted while we were doing our intro, this shit is unbelievably fucking boring. So the bell rings. We stand there for three minutes, like, just standing there, nothing happening. Um, this is the total list of things that happen in this 20-minute match. <laughs> um, so they, they brawl on the floor for, like, five seconds. That's too much action, so they slow back down. We get, like, one body slam. Uh, Bobby Eaton gets pushed into the post a couple times, takes a hip toss on the floor. Uh, at one point, Bobby Eaton hits a missile drop kick for a near fall. I think it's, like, the only near fall of the match. Um, the last, like, seven minutes of this match is Bobby Eaton working a hammer lock on Nikita Koloff. Oh, my God. And then with, like, <laughs> maybe 30 seconds left, Koloff escapes. We have a 20-minute time limit. Um, he escapes, and then they brawl until the bell rings. That's the whole match. 20 minutes, those are the only things that happen. Um, in between, it's mostly standing, slow punching, or rest holds. A lot of rest holds. Uh, it was one of the most boring things I've ever seen. 20-minute time limit draw. Nikita Koloff, the TV champion, retains the belt. Afterward, Bobby Eaton's tag partner, Sweet Stan Lane, gets in the ring. And both the tag team partners beat up Nikita Koloff two-on-one. I mean, again, 20-minute long match, those are the only things that happen. And again, it's like I said in the intro, it was very much a different style, right? A 20-minute match back then is going to have a lot, it's going to be probably a lot slower paced, now fewer things happening than a 20-minute match today, just because of the escalation of speed and the escalation of moves that is just gradually going to happen over time. A 20-minute match today... It's probably not going to completely resemble a 20-minute match 20 years from now because Lord fucking knows what these people are going to be doing then, right? Yeah, look at Alex Zane and Blake Christian. What the hell are they going to do in 20 years? But at a certain point, you have to do something at some point. You have to do something, and they didn't do anything. Yeah, uh, there's an argument or uh, a logical conclusion you come to that they went too fast for the early part considering the last seven minutes was that hammerlock. They're like, oh, we burned through the entire match. We're just going to sit here until the end, until the finish. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah, it was like we planned like two things. And then in between, it's like, it's like, yeah, we did them already. Okay. Uh, we'll work a hammerlock <laughs> for the match. That, that'll be the, the whole match. Yeah. Um, the, the only, I, I try to be, I'll say positive, but it's not even positive. It's just like fine excuse making, honestly. Um, the early part of the match did feel more like, like a chess match or a football game where you have like these big bouts of contacts and then they separate and kind of like reevaluate and it's like contemplate strategy. But, uh, yeah, it's boring, man. There's not, there's nothing happens. It's just nothing. Uh, Cornette gets the loudest, uh, cheers. We'll say, uh, jeers, uh, the entire night, the guy just heals it up the entire time. Um, was there ever a story as to why Cornette's shtick was a tennis racket? Uh, I think supposedly, according to him and his like his own like mythology, it was like when he was a like uh, a, like a fucking heel. Like, uh, did he have a tennis gimmick? No, he was like a he he was like a fucking um, like his his thing in like mid south or whatever was like he was like a fucking like uh, like a rich like kind of preppy guy. Got it. And he was like. Well, you know, like that's something that like rich kind of preppy kids do is they play tennis. And then I guess supposedly to him, like, you know, he likes to talk about like, oh, back in the day when we got real heel heat, people tried to attack me and, you know, tried to murder me during the shows. And it was like I could hit him with a tennis racket. So he kept it around. Uh, I think that was that was the reason why, though, it was just like from that gimmick. Well, cool, cool, cool tough guy, Jim Cornette. Uh, well, it's real, real badass, Jim Cornette. Yeah, just nothing happens throughout this entire match. Uh, uh, arguably. Uh, at the end there, when the match finally ends in the time limit draw, when uh, Koloff stares down Cornette, and Cornette literally just drops his racket, and Koloff snatches it out of midair. That was probably a top three spot throughout the entire match. Uh, yeah. Again, it, it, it's just, I didn't, it wasn't like I wanted it off my screen. I just wanted something to happen. Like, if this was like an ugly match and boring like this, it's just another level. But, like, it was just boring. That's the worst thing I could, I could say about it. It was worked fine. It was just... Nothing happened. 
the boring chants throughout this match, if they, if they had existed back then, they would be deafening. It would be the loudest pop ever. It would be like Drew McIntyre in the UK. It would just be so loud, the boring chants. Yeah. I mean, th- yeah, this is, this is quite frankly a match that you, like, you could not do on uh, a, a big show today because, like... Like they would literally get like like the giant like vaudeville hook to pull to pull them <laughs> off stage, like just yep. So I mean, like Nikita Koloff gives like the single most immobile performance I have ever fucking seen. Like, like, like the single most immobile performance this side of fucking giant Gonzalez, while being half that guy's fucking size. Yeah, that- nothing happens. I mean, you know, Bobby Eaton's a guy that is remembered as a great worker, and he was, but. You know, it's nothing fucking happens in it. I, it's it's really it's really amazing to me. I mean, it's like even worse than the Booty Man match that we had a few weeks ago. Yeah, like, like it's it's actually somehow significantly worse than that. Uh, and yeah, Dave Meltzer gave this, I believe, minus two stars. So it's not like people at the time were like, oh, yeah, this is still, you know, this is good. It's like this was remarkably bad even for that time. You know, 19, in 1988, just because it was, you know. 30, 35 years ago, whatever it was, people still liked watching people do stuff in the ring. You know, it was, it was a different style. Sure. That, that's revolutionary. Like, people still liked watching people wrestle, like actually do things. Yeah. Back in the day, back when our early episodes, I always said, man, the hip toss onto the concrete. That was a spot. Oh, yeah, it's like, it like the joke. It was like one of our first episodes. It was like fall brawl, whatever. It was like, yeah, you have a nice like, little suplex. Spot. Is 17 minutes into the match, Michael P.S. Hayes at the suplex, and you're like, well, he did a suplex. This is like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> this is exactly like that, except worse. So next up, this is a completely forgotten, like, tertiary NWA title. The NWA Western States Heritage title is on the line. The champion, cool cowboy guy, Barry Windham, defending the title. Gets Larry Zabisco, the former protege of Bruno San Martino. Larry Z working heel in this one. And Larry Z comes out with his manager, valet, Baby Doll, who was talking shit as the bell rings. She will get involved in this match. Unlike Cornette, you know, Cornette was there at ringside, didn't really factor into the last match. Uh, she is going to absolutely get involved in this match. So they're selling this. Uh, the knee for Barry Windham in storyline. He had been, uh, he had had a match with Tolly Blanchard that had aired just the day before on TBS. And he had gotten his knee injured in that match. Fans had seen the knee injury and Windham is kind of, you know, I, I do really like the way they build this up throughout the match. So Larry Z is trying to target that knee. Uh, uh, Windham has got the knee really conspicuously wrapped up. Um, and Wyndham starts the match kind of subtly selling it. You know, he's fine, but you can catch a little bit of a limp when he's moving around and Larry Z is targeting it. Uh, and, you know, Wyndham still has the upper hand throughout the match. He keeps fighting back and retaking control. But throughout the match, gradually starts selling the knee more and more. Uh, Larry Z is able to uh, take over and get some heat after Wyndham hits a big power slam then goes up top for a diving senton, misses. Uh, but then Wyndham is able to reverse him into a back suplex. Uh, Larry Z, though, right after that, takes out the leg again, keeps working him over. Uh, so, you know, they gradually build up to, eventually Larry Z is just able to attack the knee enough that he's able to take over and get heat. Um, Wyndham eventually gets a comeback, hits a suplex, hits a gut wrench suplex, hits a sleeper hold. Uh, uh, eventually Larry Z is able to get to the rope. They end up on the floor. Larry Z sends him into the post, but then I like I thought this was funny. Wyndham like turns around, does the crotch on the post spot where he pulls him into the post, and they cut to this girl in the crowd just dying laughing at Larry <laughs> Zabisco getting his balls destroyed. It was really funny. Um, Barry Wyndham uh, misses the crossbody on the outside, hits the floor. Larry Z gets some more offense. They do the double shoulder block spot, and so they, they both go down. Then we get a ref bump. Barry Windham rolls him up. Baby Doll on the outside counts the three. So Barry Windham can't see who's counting. He thinks it's the referee, 
It's not. It's Baby Doll faking him out. He lets go of the roll-up thinking that he won, then turns and sees, oh shit, the ref is out. Something's up here. Shenanigans are happening. Baby Doll hands her one of her high heels to Larry Zabisco. Zabisco hits him, knocks him out with the high heel. And then the referee comes to just in time to count the pin. Larry Zabisco, through heel chicanery, has won the title, the, the NWA Western States Heritage title in 19 minutes and 16 seconds. I, I I have to say this. Larry Zbysko impressed the hell out of me just from a heel work perspective with Baby Doll for a guy that looks like Roger Goodell inspired by Grease. Yes. This guy is really just like, you know, Larry Zbysko was like a main eventer at times throughout the 80s, but like um, just looks like any fucking guy. I mean, like, it's not. A, I'm not like, you know, going to talk shit on anyone's butt. It's just like his face. Yeah, like, it's his face. Like, he looks like, like Roger Goodell. He looks like a guy who works at Advanced Auto Parts, you know? He just does not have a wrestler look. And again, that's not a bad thing. I mean, you know, like, I think, I think you know, it takes all kinds, right? Mm-hmm. But I just think it's funny. Like, he just kind of looks like a kindly uncle, but yet he's this heel, you know what I mean? And he had some great reactions, too, throughout the match. Like, his facial expressions and just how he carried himself. Like, he really does kind of, like, steal the show here, and uh, it's nice to see him kind of pick up the win just from, like, the work perspective. The baby doll at the end there faking the count, I've not seen that before. I've not seen a manager do that before, and that's just a really creative way to screw with the baby face and a good way for the heel to kind of get one over. Um, And and even for a match that the first five minutes, not a lot happened. There's definitely more move diversity throughout this one. And Zabisco really does make the most of every opportunity that he's selling. He's just very entertaining. Whereas, like, Wyndham, I think this has been a theme with him. He's just not a guy that has a lot of facial expression. He's kind of like a Dean Malenko type with the lack of reactions. But you have Zabisco just, like, being very corny, like, heel. And it's really good. And, like, that's got those guys always make wrestling more fun. And Zabisco definitely lives up to that hype. Yeah, Barry Wyndham is a guy that. When you hear people talk about him in the 80s, he was considered, I mean, really one of the best workers in the world in the like late 80s. Not a guy that I feel like always had a lot of like, like in-ring fire or anything, certainly not in this match, but is a guy that, is, you know, a bigger guy who could go, you know? And if you listen to like, you know, I, I always, I recommend the Arn Anderson podcast that he has he always raves about how great Barry Windham was um this is a good match I mean this is a match that is slower for sure um it's faster than the first match hard to be slower it's slower by the standards of today but yeah you know the finish is is kind of interesting and creative I feel like you would see that every now and then but it's it's certainly not it's like one of those kinds of like I think, and part of that is like people don't really do managers as much anymore. Um, but that's like kind of a a cool like heel manager finish spot that you don't see anymore. And like I said, I really liked the way they built up the leg storyline, where it's like going in, you can tell it's bothering him a little, but he's okay. And but he's got this big wrap on his leg so that's a huge blinking target and Larry Zabisco is taking every opportunity he can to go after it and over time it starts bothering him more and more and Zabisco keeps at it and keeps at it and keeps at it and eventually he's able to get it to the point where it's it's really bothering him and he's able to take control of the match I thought that was built up very well and executed very well and yeah, yeah I mean this is not a match that is a barn burner by any stretch of the imagination but there's some good stuff in it and some stuff that I think is is executed really well yeah. um, that I enjoyed watching, which stands out much more than than most of the shit that you're going to see on the show. You know, this next um, this next match is OK. Yeah, it's OK. But, you know, like. I, I there, there was a lot of stuff in this match that I really enjoyed and I, you know, it was definitely solid for sure. Uh, but it's funny because I, and I know I mentioned this to you the other day when we were talking about it, 
Um, it's a funny footnote. So this belt that they were competing oh, yeah. over, the NWA Western States Heritage title. Um, so it was instituted in 1987. Barry Windham won a, uh, a tournament to get the belt. He was the first champion. This was like the inaugural reign. So Visco wins the title from him right here at Bunkhouse Stampede, holds the belt for almost a year. Then uh, he leaves to go to the AWA as the champion, and then they just retire the belt. So there were two champions. This was the only title change in the history of this title. And then it was over. So, like a little little footnote in the history of this. Like, if there's a reason, if, there, if, if you have never heard of the NWA Western States Heritage title, there is a reason for that. Is Zabisco is still around? I want to go win that championship real quick. I don't know. He, he's still alive. He's old. He's Z- still alive. Zabisco, I'm calling you out. You can go, uh, you know, roll him up or something. You know, I know he was he was based out of Pittsburgh for a long time because he was he was Bruno's boy. Uh, so I don't know. Might still be around. He might still be able to find him somewhere. Who this knows? Is, this is me calling you out, Larry Zabisco. Answer the challenge. Angelo's going to cruise around Pittsburgh looking for Larry Zabisco's, uh, looking for Larry Zabisco's house, and uh, fucking roll him up to win the title. So Angelo, next time I see you, you better have that belt. I'm gonna find him. So yeah. So. This is what we were talking about when I mentioned that there was like a weird cut in the Peacock uh, WWE Network uh, broadcast of the Bunkhouse Stampede Finals. Next match is NWA World Heavyweight Championship on the line. It is a pretty good-looking match. It is Ric Flair, the champion, defending against Road Warrior Hawk. But we don't get the entrances. The Peacock version cuts straight to the start of the match, like right out of the end of Barry Windham and Larry Zabisco. So you do not see the entrances. Uh, You don't see anything that happened in between. There is a disclaimer that says uh, it's due to technical difficulties in the original recording of the show that they have. Um, Can't imagine that we missed that much. But, you know, Ric Flair entrance is always cool. We start off with Road Warrior Hawk. He's a road warrior, so he's the baddest fucking coolest guy around. He's no-selling everything that Ric Flair does to start this match, completely making Ric Flair his bitch. Uh, I, I, I know you were probably excited about this. Military I press, baby. I, multiple gorilla press tosses from Hawk at the beginning of this match. He is just working him over. Ric Flair ends up turning the tide with a low blow, and he starts getting heat. Uh, dropping a couple knees on him, coming off the top rope. Uh, Flair attacks the leg, hits another low blow that looks to be right in front of the referee. Neither of the uh, or, uh, we have so we have a couple of uh, managers also at ringside, a couple of legendary managers: J.J. Dillon, manager of the Four Horsemen, with Ric Flair, Paul Ellering, who in the '80s looked so goddamn cool uh, with Road Warrior Hawk. J.J. Dillon will get involved later on. Um, Flair heats him up. He gets a back suplex, wraps the leg around the post. He slaps on the figure four while he's holding on to the rope for extra leverage behind the referee's back. Hawk reverses it, is able to escape. We get our second ref bump of the night. Uh, they end up fighting on the floor. Hawk sends Flair into the post. Of course, it wouldn't be a Ric Flair title match without some blood. Ric Flair juices after he gets sent into the post. Hawk continues to kick his ass. It's a power slam. It's a superplex. Has him pinned, but there's no ref to count. J.J. Dillon introduces a chair. Dillon hits him with a chair. Flair then hits him with the chair as well, but Hawk kicks out of these two uh, chair shots. Hits an overhead suplex, like a vertical suplex. Hawk no-sells it completely. Gets up, fires up, hits the 10 punches in the corner. Ric Flair... Decides to uh, stem this rising momentum from Hawk by hitting him with a chair again. But this time, the ref has actually woken up and he sees the chair shot and he disqualifies Ric Flair. Road Warrior Hawk wins the match by DQ, but not the title. 
21 minutes and 39 seconds. There's some fun Hawk stuff in here. What do you expect for like, 80s title matches? I feel like up until like the mid 90s, like 90% of world title matches ended with DQs. <laughs> but a little bit of a flat ending here to what was otherwise, I think, a pretty fun match. Yeah, hot start with the military presses. I was like, I was nerding out over them. But this great, was great fucking babyface shine at the beginning from Hawk. He looked like a fucking killer. I love this match. This was actually really fun. Um, even with like the if you do the '80s rose-colored glass stuff, like I think this match kind of holds up. It's just really fun to see two guys who have a, like unique identities. Hawk being a guy who is kind of like an Ishi no seller. Um, and you kind of have to wear him down and he's going to have moments where he still no sells later in the match. And like within storyline of the match, it makes sense that he's not selling a lot at the beginning. It makes sense that you kind of wear him down. So he has to start selling and there's going to be moments where he fires up where he no sells again. I love that part. And then flair. I think the best part about flair is that anyone that he faced was a believable opponent, regardless of what their power level was, because flair himself was a guy whose power level really didn't feel like it couldn't be unrivaled. It was just that he was so crafty as a heel that anyone he faced was on his level, whether that yeah. was for good or for bad. It was a great way to bring guys up and was a great way for Flair to kind of stay relevant against like big guys like Hawk. Yeah, uh, that, that is that is why, and I've said it before on the show, why Flair is one of my favorite heel champions of all time. Because he always, no matter who it was made the baby face look good Mm -hmm. they always ended up looking good and it was always flair wins these matches because he's just you know he's not the biggest the strongest or you know the most gifted wrestler but he is the nature boy he is the dirtiest player in the game and he's just the single craftiest motherfucker alive and he will find a way to keep his belt find a way to win Mm -hmm. right like uh, I'm, I'm gonna use one two three kid i know uh he's one of your favorites during that time the the artist formerly known as x-pac but yes. like you could tell me there was a Flair one two three kid world title match, and that one two three kid looked like a world champion facing Flair, and I'd be like, yeah, that tracks. Yeah, uh, that's that's something that I remember. And this is you know, I, I I will say Dave Meltzer mentioned this when it happened. You remember a couple years ago, the Kenny Omega Allen Angels match? Yes, yes, I saw so people were Kenny getting up in arms title. over this. Yeah, Kenny Kenny is the champion. Alan Angels is a relatively unknown guy at the time who had done a couple jobs on Dark, and then they put him in this match on Dynamite with with the champion. And they end up having like a really competitive 10-minute match where Alan Angels looks great, and then Kenny ends up winning. Um, and like people on the internet went insane. You're like, it makes so your look bad because you know he had to work to put away this guy no one's ever heard of. And it was like, and I remember Meltzer brought this up, and it's true. Like, Ric Flair spent the entire 80s having 10-minute matches with jobbers and making them look good. You know what I mean? Harley Race did the same thing before him. Like, it's just, like, it's just good pro wrestling. Yeah. You know? Like, like look, uh, I think of Dante Martin, because Dante Martin's been a guy who's been around the world championship, not as a contender, but as a guy that just faces them for, like, those elimination matches. Where, like, he'll face off, like, I know he's faced off with Mox. I know he's faced off with Hangman Page. And he'll give a competitive match, and he delivers every time. But it's not like, oh, Dante Martin's taking this guy to the limit. Wow, what a fucking jabroni. It's just, no. It's If we're going to if we're going to allow ourselves to believe that wrestling is a sporting competition, you rarely, rarely see any professional get dog-walked all the time. There's, yeah. a, pla- there's a place for it in wrestling, but, like, if you're a guy who's fighting for a championship, you're not going to get dog walked. You're going to go out there and like give it your all. And yeah, you might look over class, but there's going to be moments where you're like, you could see the sunlight peeking through the clouds. Yeah. And that's, and that is you know getting off topic a little bit there because there's no way we're equating road warrior Hawk to someone like Alan angels. Cause road warrior Hawk was <laughs> a very high power level guy. Yeah. But that's just what I was like. Ric Flair, every match made the other guy look good. And that is why, He's one of the best. Not that Hawk needed that much help to look good because he was Road Warrior fucking Hawk. <laughs> and gas the hell out. But he, you know, this, they they do make Hawk look great. You know, mm-hmm. at every level, he looks like he is on Flair's level or, or better. And, you know, Rick is able to, you know, you know, I, I'm not a big DQ finish guy, but that's just kind of how they booked back then. Yeah. 
Um, and, and I'll say this, having a DQ on a no-sold chair shot, there are definitely worse DQ finishes. Yeah, I mean, it's like, yeah, you know, he hits him with a chair and he just no-sells it. Yeah, I mean, like, it, it, it still makes him look strong. Um, now, we're, we're going to, you know, let me tell you, Rotoware Hawk never ended up winning the NWA World Heavyweight Championship. But I could see people in the 80s getting hype as shit for that if he did. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and like you talk about making him look strong, like there are moments here where Flair just like treats Hawk like a zombie in a zombie movie, just kind of like trying to get as much distance between him and Hawk as possible. Hawk chucking those wooden stairs like those stairs had to be heavy as shit. And Hawk just tossed them like they're toys uh, and like body pressing him on each cover. The small things like Flair only getting offense in when Hawk makes a mistake or Flair kind of does a dirty play played really great too this was fun this was a super fun match i love this yeah it, it it is fun again hawk looks great in it uh flair you know and it's also a fun reminder of the fact that like part of the mythology ironic flair i mean the the figure four leg lock for a lot of his career like he didn't finish matches with it all. Like, he would sometimes. But it wasn't like this, like, legendary finisher as I feel like it's been made out to be later on in his career. Like, he would do it. He does the figure four about halfway through this 20-minute match. And then, you know, like, Hawk gets out, right? Mm-hmm. Like, it's definitely one of the, like, like moments where it's like, oh, Ric Flair's closing in on victory. But it wasn't like, oh, he slaps it on and it's over. You know, he would just oft, as often or maybe more often win matches with a roll-up, you know? He won his first NWA championship with a cross body off the top rope on Harley Race, which is, like, like supposedly the kayfabe explanation for, like, every single, like, big match he had afterward. He would try to go for it and miss because he had <laughs> won one once. Uh, but, like, for most of his career, the figure four leg lock wasn't this, like, death hold that he would, like, slap on and it was ball game. You know what I mean? Like he would win match. He like he would win a lot of matches other ways. Yeah. 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 Best match on the show. Best match Easily the- now, not. Yeah. So this is a whole thing. Um. So we have. So we then have a nice long intermission because it's 1988, and they hadn't, or at least WCW hadn't, conceived of the idea of setting up a steel cage before the show and then like suspending it and then lowering it down, which really cuts into the, the, the time frame here. We have to take a long break as they have to physically set up the steel cage for the bunkhouse stampede. And it takes quite a while. They actually run the like producer like and crew credits in the middle of the show. I love that. And we stand around and Bob Cottle and JR shoot the shit for a little while. And then finally, after they finally set up this cage, it's time for the bunkhouse stampede. Uh, Winner gets a check for a half million dollars and a giant, like, cowboy boot, which is the the trophy. You get the giant cowboy boots. Um, And this match, the bunkhouse stampede, again, it is one of the kind of classic uh, JCP match types uh, that nobody else has really done on a big stage, partially because I don't really love the concept behind it. Uh, it is an eight-way cage match. No pinfalls, no submissions, no disqualifications. The only way to eliminate somebody in an elimination match, you have to throw them out of the cage, either sending someone over the top to the floor, or you can send them through the door. The door is open. But contrary to most regular cages, where you want to escape because that's a way you win, you want to be the last person remaining in the cage and you want to get everybody else out of the cage. So we have eight men in this match in order of entrance. The American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, who'd won the first two bunkhouse stampedes since it became an annual event in 1986. We have, from the Four Horsemen, Tully Blanchard. We have former WWF world champion Ivan Koloff, the Russian bear, who famously beat Bruno San Martino for the world title at Madison Square Garden. We have the Warlord, wearing a lifeguard t-shirt. 
we have from the Four Horsemen, Arn Anderson, the Enforcer, Double A, with a hell of a midriff. Look at yeah, wearing a wearing like a cutoff like tee showing that belly. He looks like a fucking pimp. We have looking as jacked as ever, Lex Luger, the total package. We have the Barbarian, who is very large. And we have the other Road Warrior, Road Warrior Animal. This match is 26 minutes of just brawling. It's just brawling in the cage. They just brawl and they fight. And you're trying to send guys through the cage door, trying to throw guys over the top. Guys are climbing up, climbing down, climbing all over the fucking place like monkeys. It is just chaos. It's fucking chaos in the cage. Uh, guys are bleeding. Ivan Koloff is cut open early. Arn's bleeding. Dusty gets his arm cut open. He's bleeding all over his arm. Uh, animals bleeding. Um, not a whole lot happens. Again, it's just a long brawl. Not a lot of variety. Not a lot to break up this brawl. It's like 20 minutes until somebody gets eliminated. And then afterwards, the eliminations start to come faster towards the end. But it's like basically 20 minutes without much breaking it up. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I love the War Games concept so much, because it breaks it up. It's like, yes, it's a long fight in a cage before the match even starts, but like the entrances break everything up so well. This just, it's like, all right, we get to it, and it just goes for a really long time before anything really substantial happens. Um, it is, we have a, 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 an imbalance. We have five heels and three baby faces, so we have the heels teaming up to double-team guys, Dusty gets it really bad. Lex gets it pretty bad as well. Uh, Dusty's getting choked with a belt. We do get these like very big, like simultaneous babyface comebacks from Lex and Dusty, where uh, Lex uh, is hitting somebody. Lex gets somebody's shoe and is hitting someone with the shoe. Then Dusty gets the belt and is whipping everyone with the belt. Um, part of the ambiance of the bunkhouse stampede is guys aren't in their trunks. Guys just kind of show up wearing street clothes ready to fight. So you got guys wearing jeans and boots and fucking t-shirts fighting each other, get belts getting taken out and getting whipped with the belt. Um, first guy eliminated is Ivan Koloff, the oldest man in this match who was I think near 50 by this point. He fucking looks it. He's got the, uh, like the gouges in the, uh, like the, like the forehead gouges that old dudes back in the day when they had bladed a million times uh, would get, like the Abdul the Butcher kind of, ah, like, yes. in, the, in, the, in the forehead. He gets sent over top. Road Warrior Animal knocks him off to eliminate him. Uh, then right after that, Animal targets the Warlord. He kind of bullies Warlord out of the door, you know, like driving into him. Um, but then somebody, I didn't see who it was, but somebody drop kicks him from behind, drop kicks Animal from behind, and both him and Warlord spill out onto the floor. So just like that, we go from seven to five. Uh, we get some four horsemen double team stuff on Lex Luger. They hit the assisted Gord Buster. Um, and then the horsemen, Tully and Arn. They're teaming up on Lex. They try to force Lex out the door. They're fighting and they're fighting. And then eventually they all, all three of them kind of spill out onto the floor a triple elimination all at once. Totally Arn and Lex Luger are all gone. So in a moment, we now go from five to two. It is Dusty Rhodes and the Barbarian. I'm going to give you two guesses. Who's going to win in this big showdown, in this pay-per-view main event, Dusty Rhodes or the Barbarian? I'm going to give you two guesses. Is it Huss? Barbarian? Barbarian Husses? No, it's not. It's it's not. It's not the Barbarian. Dusty, Dusty Rhodes is going to fucking win, obviously. <laughs> the Barbarian, uh, you know, gets a, gets a, you know, he gets a, he gets some offense on Dusty. Um, he hits a couple of diving headbutts in a row off the top rope. But the Dusty fires back right as Barbarian is like trying to force him out the door. Dusty fires up. They fight up towards the top of the cage. Finally, they get uh, Barbarian straddling the cage. Dusty hits him with the atomic elbow and he only he falls off. Dusty knocks him off the floor. Dusty Rhodes wins in 26 minutes and 21 seconds. 
He has once again won the Bunkhouse Stampede. And listen, it's Dusty. We love Dusty. But the crowd was not exactly thrilled with this. I got a very strong sense of, like, this fucking guy wins again from the crowd? Um, yeah, but Dusty Dusty Rhodes gets the big boot. He's the big, big fucking boot guy. He's got a big old boot now. Congrats to Dusty. He wins the bunkhouse stampede. Yeah, it's 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 dynasty fatigue. We get tired of the same guy winning every year. Uh, but no, like the match itself also doesn't lend itself to much. I love the bunkhouse concept. I love the fact that AEW's kind of kept the tradition up with where guys really pretty, pretty much come out in street clothes to have this brawl. Um, it, it, it provides a new, not new, but like a unique feel to the fight. Just guys come out in street clothes. It makes it feel more like a real scrap. Uh, that said, this match, the rules do not play it well, especially the size of these guys having it, having the rule of like, oh, you have to be tossed over the cage, which is 10 feet high. And these guys are stiff as boards or through the one door that's on the cage. It kind of feels like this would have been a better match to have, you know, these custom cage sides that maybe have four doors, one on each side in the middle. Or like kind of like that Punjabi prison setup where they have those gates in the middle where you could open the gate and slide some underneath. Uh, but one door and over the cage is it, it's not going to lead to anything super cool. There's not a lot of notes here other than like how the guys look. Um, Warlord wearing a lifeguard shirt. I would be terrified to go to that pool club. Uh, Dusty Rhodes being the only guy not guess gas the hell out. Like Dusty looks like a typical normal dude. And then you have like seven action figures come in right after him. Uh, David, I do have a question for you. Are you a big fan of physical pounding? Dude. Okay. So, yeah, the, the Bunkhouse Stampede drinking game <laughs> is drink every time JR says the word pound, pounding, pounded, any sort of variation on the, the, the verb pound, you are going to die if you play that game. It is, it, I highly recommend it. I mean, the motherfucker, listen, JR, you know, he's one of the great commentators of all time. Really could have used a thesaurus <laughs> on this one. He says the word pounding a hundred fucking times. But mostly because there's not really a whole lot else to talk about. It's like, yeah, they're all punching each other. They're really pounding each other here in this cage. Yeah, and it's impossible to follow it, too. They're, they're, they're like, the fact that like, the only things that you can really do a play-by-play on are the eliminations. Because they do a good job of capturing them. Everything else that goes on is a mess. Yeah, it is just, listen, if you like, uh, like just sloppy brawling, well, this is the match for you. But if you want like something with like more structure, then it's not. Cause it's really like, you know, I mean, like this is like the most like called on the fly fucking match of all time. Like there's not really a whole lot that happens. It's just, they kind of all get in there. And it's like, yeah, we kind of know that we know our cues when we're going to get eliminated. And then we'll just all sort of fill in the blanks ourselves when we're in the cage. There's not really much that happens. You know, it's like there's even fewer like spots in it than the fucking like uh, fucking Bobby Eaton match. You know what I mean? Like there's really <laughs> not anything happening. It's just they're all punching each other and, you know, pushing each other into the cage and just kind of fighting. And that's it. You know, like. I can't imagine that, like, if you were in the crowd, this is a match that would, like, excite you. You know, especially since it sort of seems like they're getting a little tired of Dusty winning all the time. That was, you know? was Dusty the first John Cena? My column. No, wait, no, fuck. I mean, there's, you know, Dusty is one of the all-time greats. And one of the most charismatic baby faces, beloved baby faces of all time. But even someone like that, there is a limit to how much you can win continuously before people get bored, right? Even as much as they love Dusty. You got to do something else at some point, right? Like, you got to switch gears. You got to give, give someone some kind of surprise, you know, or some kind of different direction. Otherwise, like, what's the point of, of, of tuning in? 
because you're just going to see the same thing over and over again. I don't know. It's it's you know normally I'm never going to complain about Dusty going over because it's Dusty. We love Dusty. He's the fucking goat. But it's like yeah, like he's going to win every time. Uh, I don't know about that one. It's hard to be sympathetic to a career winner. Yeah, nobody roots for Goliath, as Wilt Chamberlain once said. Uh, yeah, I mean, and this is this is the point where I feel like you would start you started to see this a little bit. You know, this is when 1988, 1988, late 80s, into the early 90s, this is where you started to see fans a little bit go away from like, you know, early years of professional wrestling in the 20, in the 20th century uh, were defined by very long title reigns, right? You know, Luthez being the champion for 10 years in the NWA, Bruno being the champion for 10 years in the WWF. And then, Towards the late 80s, early 90s, I feel like the tenor of the fans started to change a little bit, where people started to go, okay, well, maybe I want to see something different. Mm-hmm. This is a couple years before, I mean, like, you know, it wouldn't be long after the WWF fans would get completely fucking tired of Hulk Hogan shit, right? Yeah. Completely fucking tired of it. Uh, leading him getting booed at the Royal Rumble when he eliminated Sid. <laughs> um, you know, That's like, incredible. Getting booed over Sid Vicious. Sid was always more over than you think he was, Angelo. But, like, it's it's around this time where people start to, you know, maybe aren't as content with, like, oh, we have this baby face that we like and we see him win all the time. You know? Yeah. And it's kind of funny, like, time, this is like your time is a flat circle, which will forever, forever repeat itself. Look at the kind of title reigns we're in right now. Like Roman Reigns is at a two-year title run. AEW is known for having very long title runs. It'll be interesting to see what happens with Mox Punk this weekend. Yeah, uh, but like they maybe have one world title change for uh, a year. Jade Cargill, longtime TBS champion. Uh, Thunder Rosa was a longtime AEW Women's champion. Britt Baker before her. Uh Right now, it seems like Gunther is going to go on a long run with the IC title. Lashley's on a good run with the UC, U.S. title. They're not like multi-year runs, but the, a lot of these t- as titles, especially the ones that aren't the world championship, kind of had a hot potato feel for the longest time. The best way to make a belt like regain its legitimacy is to have a guy go on that kind of run, but it is hard to make it have storyline sense and have the fans buy in, whether it's a guy like Lashley, who's got a babyface who's winning all the time because he's a conquering hero, or Reigns, who's just this mega heel who is running the show. And I'll say this for both of them. They're booking it very well. It, once it starts to get stale, you're in trouble. You have to figure out ways to make it fresh. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we're going on two years now with Roman. You know, this is the longest title run we've had since, like, the peak Hogan era. Punk? And what was Punk's reign? Like, 400 Punk days? A, yeah, it was a little over a year. Uh, but Roman is lapping that right now, and, and and again, we're not we're not talking about Dusty wasn't actually a champion at this point, but we're talking about him. You know, he's you know winning this event three years running, right? You know, it's kind of a similar idea. Um, I don't know. I feel like like I feel like people have gotten tired of Roman a little bit, right? And that's the like po- have it. But that's the great thing about him being a heel, though, is like. They've done it different ways with Roman. Like, it's rarely been great. It's always usually bloodline interference, but they've made the bloodline interference kind of they've added the twists and turns to make it more interesting. Uh, yeah. But it yes, was, I do think we, we are reaching a point of uh, terminus on Reigns. Yeah, because it's like they just debuted Solo Sokoa. There's no more Usos left. You can't get another Uso unless you bring back Rikishi or something. And it's like, he, you know, he drops his ass on Killer Cross or whatever. It's like <laughs> yeah, there's no more Usos. I don't know, Sam. If they get Sami Zayn as an uh, honorary oos, could they get anyone as an honorary oos? That's true. That does open up a lot because now Sami Zayn's an oos. Um, I do. I do love the gimmick. Where, like, I love it. Jimmy and him are boys, and Jay hates him. I do. <laughs> <laughs> Jimmy's always like hype as shit to see him, and then Jay's like, "I'm gonna murder you." We need more Sami Zayn. I the dynamic. I find that funny. Uh, but like, yeah, you know. You reach a saturation point generally now with the way that stuff is 
you know, it's a week to week TV show and the storylines have to always be progressing. You reach a saturation point where it's like, okay, you've only done, you've done this so many times and you can only do it so many different ways. And it's like, yeah, man, you know, you had the perfect opportunity. You're not going to get anyone more over than Drew McIntyre in the UK to, you know, have a big like babyface beats Roman type deal. Yeah. Uh, unless you turn Sammy a babyface and have him beat Roman in Montreal or something, uh, which would own. But you know, like, so like, what are we doing here, right? You know, like, because I listen, you know. Triple H loves fucking Killer Cross, and uh, you know he's got a cool, cool thing going on. But like, he's not gonna be. Let's let's be real. Not an eighth is fucking over. That's as true. True was you know. I did hear something about them wanting to do possibly doing an all ooze Survivor Series team, mm. which which get which gets my rocks off pretty well. Which would be very fun, sure. But you also that doesn't need to have the title involved. Like yeah. they just do that, you know. <laughs> so, it's uh, it's five on five though. I guess I guess that you would involve Zane. It be honorary the, use. Yep. you're not going like full full bloodline. Not full. Well, no, he is full bloodline. Sammy Zane's a part of the bloodline, David. He's an honorary use. Come on, come on. They stole that gimmick from fucking <laughs> Chase Owens and Bad Luck Fale. He's an honorary Tongan. It's the same shit. They they're stealing shit. Bad, Roman Reigns is just a is just an imitation bad luck folly. I've been saying it for fun. Wow, that that is a comparison that has never been made before. Yeah, but you know, this match going just going back to this match, it's it's boring. There's not much to break it up. It's pretty one note, and again, like. Crowd isn't really satisfied with the ending. You can very much see it. And like I said, I feel like this is... You're starting to get to the point where the tenor of the fans starts to change. Where, you know, maybe... you know, There's there's at least a vocal subsection of this fan base that isn't necessarily content to see the same thing happen over and over. Just because it's a babyface that everyone likes, you maybe do want to see something different every now and then. So I think that this is a an interesting little development here to see somebody like Dusty actually get some booze after winning a big match. I'll just say that. So, man, we like I said, we really fucking ripped through this thing. I mean, we got through, like, we started recording an hour ago. We're going to get out of here quick. This could be, like, one of our quickest episodes in a long fucking time because, again, not much fucking happened on the show. Yep. So, Angelo, give us our two and a half marks here let's start off with a negative half mark and that is insisting that things were better back in the day um no they're not evolution uh, believing in evolution tells us that things get better the longer things go because you have to adapt to it and so you have to always adapt to the ever-changing world that we live in so saying that oh yeah the 80s wrestling was so much better the guys were so much better than the guys today look at these tiny runs that are wrestling today you had guys that couldn't move back then. Like, sure, they look real cool. They look like superheroes. But when you watch them in the ring, they don't move like superheroes. Like Ricochet, you wouldn't tell me that you would have more fun watching the Barbarian than Ricochet. Get off your rocker, man. It, it, like, there are things from back in the day that are always really cool. Like, Punk doing some call-outs to, like, Bret Hart matches is very interesting. Uh, and there are things to take note of of history. Because if you don't learn your history, you're doomed to repeat it. But to say things were better? Nah, get out of here with that shit. Um, one mark is going to Dusty Rhodes' everyman energy. Yeah, he kind of got that jaded fan experience at the end there. But he walks out there with his yellow tank top and his blue jeans and his belt, and he doesn't look gassed to hell, and you just kind of want to root for that guy because he's the one guy who looks like anybody in the crowd. He looks like a fan that just found his way into the ring, and you just want to root for that guy. Yeah, maybe this crowd turned on him a little bit, but for me, as a guy who loves Dusty, seeing him walk out there, you get that every man, son of a plumber energy that is just unrivaled uh, compared to a lot of like try, pe- pe- people trying to be babyface. So give me that Dusty Rhodes every man energy. And then my two marks is going to Jim Ross, keeping it interesting. Yeah, he kind of uh, said pounding a lot in the steel cage bunkhouse stampede. But even though the wrestling on this show was much slower with less happening in most of these matches, the commentary team with Bob Calder and Jim Ross really do a great job of 
building up the story within the match, even if the match itself isn't good. They, they really do put on a clinic on how to call a wrestling match. And Jim Ross being just such an iconic voice and being the guy who is responsible for the play-by-play, he really does bring it. And even though this is a short, a short pay-per-view with not a lot going on, Jim Ross sells it as best as anyone can to make it feel like everything does still matter. So give me two marks on Jim Ross. Keep it interesting. Yeah, I'm going to uh, give my half mark to the concept of assembling the cage before the fucking show. (laughs) Uh, Because this really like in a show that there wasn't a whole lot going on and that at its worst was very boring. You then toss in a long fucking delay because they have to set up the cage just manually in the middle of the show. Boy, that's a fucking deflator right there. Uh, Whoever's idea it was to suspend the cage from the rafters, I don't know. I don't know who it was, but give that motherfucker a raise. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. I'm going to give my negative one mark to technical difficulties because honestly, I would have loved to see the flare entrance and I would have loved to see the Road Warrior Hawk entrance because both of those guys have cool entrances and that's one of the things I would have gotten the most joy from in the show. And I was deprived of it by the fucking WWE Network. So, guys, fix your shit. There's got to be a version out there somewhere, some VH- VHS tape somewhere that has those entrances. Pop them on. I want to see them. Let me fucking see them. And I'm going to give two marks to... A big old fucking cowboy boot. There's <laughs> one thing. I mean, you can you can give someone a big trophy. You can give someone a big fucking belt. We're doing those in wrestling for years. We've seen them all. We've seen every single possible variation. But in what other match than the bunkhouse stampede? Are you going to get a big motherfucking cowboy boot? Just hand it to you. Look at that fucking thing. It's huge. See how big that thing was? It, it looks was like, like it looks like it's Andre the Giants. It was like the size of Dusty's fucking torso. Dusty was a big guy. I don't know where you're gonna put that thing, but hell, that's that is a that is a conversation piece. <laughs> so if, if someone walks into your home and they see like a fucking three foot tall cowboy boot. That's a hell of a conversation piece. How'd you get a three fuck three foot tall conversation? Uh, fucking three foot tall cowboy boot? Oh yeah, I won a bunkhouse stampede match. Boom, you're off to the races, and you're having a you're you're having a great time with your friends. Imagine the shoey you're doing out of that, dude. The fucking shoey you could do out of that thing, mother of God! It's like, have you seen the movie Beer Fest? Yes. Yes, it's like that. It's Das Boot. Das Boot. At the end, it's it's like. It's the ultimate drinking challenge. And I hope that Dusty Rhodes got the chance to take on that challenge at some point in his life. I mean, he had three of those motherfuckers. So, uh, you know. One for him, one for Dustin, one for Cody. Exactly. So, yeah, that'll wrap up our coverage of Bunkhouse Stampede 1988. So without further ado, I'm going to hit the randomizer and see what we're going to be watching next time on the pod. Angelo, as I pull this up, what do you want to watch? I think I asked for it last time, but give me something NXT. I feel like it's been a minute since we've been there, and uh, it it would be a nice uh, juxtaposition from this one. Well, we are getting a hell of a juxtaposition. We're going to be jumping 30 years in the future... Not not to an NXT, though. We're going to a WWE 2018 pay-per-view. WWE Fastlane. Oh, God. Pretty sure this is our first Fastlane that we've done on the show? Almost certainly. Uh, Main event, WWE Championship Six-Pack Challenge. AJ Styles defending against Baron Corbin, Dolph Ziggler, Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, and John Cena. Okay. Uh, it's like, is it a SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view? Yes, it is. SmackDown exclusive pay-per-view in 2018. So. I mean, Sami Zayn's in the main event. That's always a good thing. Yeah, we got Sammy and Kevin in the main event. We've got Cena. This is, you know, what, you know, hey, 
AJ Styles is WWE champion. Always a very blessed time. Uh, and looking at stuff. The we have an Usos New Day match. Yeah. Looking at stuff, the pay-per-view overall is generally pretty decent reviews. So, you know, hey, fuck it. Let's, let's watch it. Have a good time. The lead-in to uh, WrestleMania 2018. It would have been WrestleMania fucking, which, which number? 34? Yeah, Sounds lead right. WrestleMania 34, which was, of course, again, another fucking Brock Lesnar, Roman Reigns. So, <laughs> yeah. Next week, Fastlane 2018 on the Two and a Half Marks podcast. So, for my good friend, Angelo and Lisa, my name is David Statman. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>